I don't know about you, but I am glad to be here today. And uh, I'm just, I just really enjoy sharing the Word of God. And uh, so whether you enjoy what I do or not, tough. We're just going to have a great time. I'm so glad that uh, you are here today. And this morning is the birthday of the church. Today is Pentecost Sunday, and we're going to celebrate that. You've already been celebrating that in the songs. We're going to celebrate it in the Word, and then see what God desires to do in our lives today. But I'd like you to turn to Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, and uh, verses 1 through 13. So if you'd turn there with me at this time. And uh, I'd like you to stand this morning, even though we've stood some time. I'd like you to stand in reverence for God's Word. And Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven, filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one of them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans, and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, What in the world does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, They have had too much wine. And may God add his blessing to his word. Please be seated. Some of you are probably mature enough to remember a hit TV show from a number of years ago called Home Improvement. Any of you remember that? Well, it starred a guy by the name, there he is, Tim the Tool Man. Tim Allen. And uh, the hit show was based upon one man's desire to always build something bigger and more powerful. It seemed in almost every show that uh, there came a time when Alan looked for the opportunity to get more power. More power, whether it was in building a lawnmower, developing a garbage disposal, classic car, computer, washing machine, an exhaust fan. The goal was the same in every one of these. More power. Because of this, I think that Tim the Toolman would have really enjoyed Acts chapter 2. He would have loved that. More power. In Acts 2, we see what's considered to be the beginning of the Christian church. This was the day that the church literally took its first step forward. We... We talk about Pentecost, and we have a tendency to think of the day of Pentecost as the day the Holy Spirit came and resided for the first time. But Pentecost, otherwise in those days called the Feast of Weeks, was a Jewish festival. It had been in place for years, and every male, uh, Jew, Jewish male who lived within a radius of 20 miles of Jerusalem was supposed to come and be there at the temple during this time. 
The festival took place in the month of June, and because of the weather, it was the most attended of all the religious feasts. In fact, it was a national holiday. The Jewish celebration of Pentecost was a time when the people of Israel gathered together to celebrate the first fruits of their harvest. It was a time of giving thanks for God's blessing upon them. Over the years, it also became a celebration that recalled the giving of the law to Moses. And we come to Acts 2, and we see the first Pentecost celebration after the resurrection of Jesus. It would be on this day that God would release the power of his Holy Spirit and grace in contrast to the law that they had been living under. On this day, the world would see the first fruits of God's spiritual harvest when over 3,000 people accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Now, the events that we read about here in Acts chapter 2 are fascinating. And it's easy to get caught up in the minutia of that and the details of what happened that day. But what I want you to see this morning is the bigger picture. I want you to see why Pentecost is so significant. For most people, the events that uh, they see there appear to be a little strange and even a bit bizarre. I want you to understand why Pentecost was such an unusual occurrence. In fact, first of all, I want us to see that God's promise was being fulfilled. God's promise was being fulfilled that day. Throughout the course of Jesus' ministry, he prepared the disciples for his coming death. He told them that they needed to see his death not as a tragedy, but as a necessity. His death would bring them life, and it would make it possible for God to send his spirit into the life and heart of every believer. In fact, in the Gospel of John, Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 16, verses 7 through 15, But I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I'm going away. In fact, unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I do go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can handle right now. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That's why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. Jesus promised a number of things that the Holy Spirit would do. He would testify of Christ. He would open hearts and he would convict the world of their sins. He would guide believers into the truth and then help them understand that truth. He would give them words to say even when they went into the courts of the land. He would give them power to fulfill the commission that he had called them to do, and he would comfort them in difficult times. Understand, though, that there is a problem when you hear great promises like this, because anyone can make great promises. In fact, lots of people make incredible promises all the time. Have any of you watched late-night TV? 
And you watch some of those infomercials. I mean, it's amazing. You'll see incredible promises. And they'll tell you that a, a certain product or a certain method or a certain vitamin will enrich your life. In fact, other religions today promise that following their beliefs will lead you to present happiness and eternal bliss. But how do you prove these things? Promises are so easy to make. And a promise about a spirit who would come and live within us. It sounds great, but why should I believe that promise? Well, first of all, Pentecost was a visual demonstration of the Spirit's coming into the lives and hearts of God's people. It was a a visual demonstration. They couldn't miss it. This was the evidence of the promise that Jesus had made to his disciples. And now it was being fulfilled. There were three primary manifestations of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. First, there was the sound of the rushing wind. The sound of that rushing wind. The New International Version translates it a violent wind. There was no actual blowing. There was no actual movement. Just the sound. And the people in Jerusalem came to where the disciples were, not because they heard the disciples speaking in tongues, but because they heard that sound of the wind. And it must have been like a sound of a tornado. Maybe the people came rushing to where they were because they thought a disaster had taken place. And that image of the wind is so appropriate when we deal with talking about the Holy Spirit. For the word spirit is the same word that's translated breath in Scripture. Jesus talked about the wind and the spirit to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. So it gives us a very appropriate symbol. But secondly, there was the appearance of something like tongues of fire over the heads of every one of the believers. Something like tongues of fire over the heads of all the believers. I picture it as kind of like a a pilot light that was sitting above the head of each of those in that upper room. And you know, fire has always been a powerful symbol in Scripture. It conveys the idea of power, purity, and sometimes judgment. Fire was a symbol that was used to to portray the presence of God. I mean, think about it. We think of the burning bush and Moses, the fire on top of Mount Sinai, the pillar of fire and the wilderness, wilderness wonders of the children of Israel. The tongue of fire over every believer showed that God's Spirit, literally a part of God Himself, was now being given to all of those believers in that upper room. Notice that the tongues of fire rested on all the believers, every believer that was there. And this is significant because, you know, there are some who teach that you don't really have the Holy Spirit in your life unless you have some dramatic experience to prove that He's in your life. I don't think that that can be substantiated from the Word of God. In fact, down in verse 38 in this very chapter, Peter told the people who were listening that day if they simply believed. That's all. He said, if you believe, then you will receive the Spirit. And we were told that 3,000 people did believe that day, but were told nothing about some kind of special manifestation of speaking in tongues that day or being slain in the Spirit or any other kind of physical manifestation. And you would think if there had been something spectacular that went along with it, it would have been verified and documented right in the Word of God. But nada, 
nothing. In fact, over in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, Paul talks to the Christians there in the church of Ephesus. And he said, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And then he says, Just having believed, you were marked in him with a seal. And what is that seal? The promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. Paul's declaration there is just this, that everyone who truly believes is given the Holy Spirit of God as a seal, as a deposit that shows the genuineness of their conversion. If you want to get an official document and have it guaranteed, sometimes the clerk will often attach a seal to make sure that it's official. And many of you have signed for a house or something like that, a major contract, and you needed the seal of a notary notary public to guarantee the genuineness of your signature. Paul declared that every believer, not just some believers, but every believer possesses God's seal. And what is God's seal? It's simply the Holy Spirit. Practically speaking, though, this means that that same Holy Spirit who came on the day of Pentecost and filled those believers with power is the same Holy Spirit that's here to fill you with His power today. In fact, I think what that's telling us is God wants to do in our lives and in our church what He did in the lives of those early believers and in the early church. How many of you believe that God wants to do that? Say amen. I thought someone was going to jump up and down and shout about that. I said, I mean, think about it. I I think we sell God too short. I think God wants to do some amazing things in our lives. And you know, He will do amazing things in our lives if we will allow Him to do amazing things in our lives. The uh, third piece of evidence of the coming Holy Spirit was the miracle of languages. The miracle of languages. It appears from the text that all 120 people in that upper room spoke in foreign languages or tongues. And verse 4 tells us they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And the disciples' proclamation of the glory of God in languages that they had never learned was an amazing thing. In fact, this large group of people who were in Jerusalem for the the day of Pentecost or the Pentecost feast ran to the place where they heard that sound. And although the majority of them probably spoke Greek or Hebrew or Arabic, they were now hearing the gospel proclaimed in their own native language. Now, this was a miracle that was obvious to everyone who was there that day. You see, these disciples were not linguists. That's why it says... Weren't they Galileans? They weren't college graduates. They couldn't have done that. These were languages that the disciples of Jesus could not possibly have known apart from some supernatural thing taking place. Now, the point of all these manifestations of the coming of the Spirit was so that the people would see and experience with their senses that the Holy Spirit had actually been given just as God said He would. So what was and what is the purpose of Pentecost? 
Well, the purpose of Pentecost was not to produce some kind of spectacular show in which everyone would be stunned and impressed. The focus of the day of Pentecost was the power of God given to the people to proclaim the good news of salvation. That was the purpose of Pentecost, simply to give the church the power to proclaim the message of salvation through Jesus Christ. In fact, that's exactly what Jesus said back in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Listen to what he said there. And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And what will happen? You will be my witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You see, the Holy Spirit would come upon them, and the result was simply going to be that they would be effective witnesses to the gospel of Jesus Christ. When God's Spirit works through people, amazing things happen. A committee of ministers in a certain city a number of years ago was meeting and, and discussing the possibility of having D.L. Moody come as an evangelist to do a campaign in that city. Finally, one of the young ministers who really wasn't all that excited about Moody coming stood up and said, Why Moody? Does he have a monopoly of the Holy Spirit? And there was silence across the room. And then one godly old minister spoke up. He said, No, he does not have a monopoly of the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit has a monopoly of D.L. Moody. And that makes all the difference in the world. You see, Moody himself used to testify that when he had discovered and learned to live in the power of the Holy Spirit, when he finally yielded to the Spirit's work in his life, he was able to preach the same sermons that he had preached time and time and time before. But now when he preached them, people were, were responding in ways that he never could have imagined. This is why we, you and I, need to pray that God's Spirit reign free in our lives. Not just as individuals, but free to reign in the life of this church. We need to ask for God's power to be set free to minister here. In fact, I'd encourage you to pray for me. I would encourage you to pray for whoever the pastor is going to be of this church. I would encourage you to pray for the church board for the missions council, for the Sunday school teachers, for, for the leaders in this church. I would encourage you to make it a daily thing to pray for them and see what happens. Pray that God's Spirit will have a monopoly on us. Not just as individuals, but He would have a monopoly on this church. Our programs and, and special meetings and emphasis may draw a crowd, but only God's Spirit can change a life eternally. And remember, God has not given us the Holy Spirit simply for our personal enjoyment and comfort. He's given us His Spirit to equip us to faithfully proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God can take your talents and your gifts and your abilities, whatever your age, whatever the level of those abilities, and use them in ways that you never, ever imagined. But to do this, you have to be willing to trust Him. You need to rely on His strength rather than your own. You need to open yourself up to the work of the Holy Spirit. By the way, do you know how hard it is to open yourself up to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life? I'll show you right now. It's simply saying, Holy Spirit, take control. I'm out of here.
Holy Spirit, just take control. That's it. That's all he's asking. But as easy as that looked, it's not always that easy to do in our lives. I, I want to wrap this up by sharing some practical principles and personal applications. You see, the day of Pentecost was a significant day because it marked a new beginning. It was a time when God would empower his people with the spirit of Christ. You see, up to this point, Jesus was only with the disciples when he was physically present there. But from now on, wherever they went, his spirit would be within them. Big change, my friends. His wisdom was now at their disposal. He equipped those common men and women to do uncommon things. So there's some principles I want us to see here. First of all, the Lord did not leave us on our own to stand and fight this world in our own strength. God did not just leave us and say, okay, you're saved now, good luck. I hope you make it. We'll see you in heaven someday. I love 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 and 4. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Maybe you are feeling overwhelmed in some kind of a battle that you're fighting in your life right now. I want you to realize, friend, you don't fight that battle alone. Your battle may be against some kind of addiction that you feel powerless to break. You may be battling some kind of a hostile work environment, some, some problem at school or, or, or maybe in your home. You may be battling powerful people that you have to deal with. You need to remember you don't fight that battle alone. God has equipped you with his own personal Holy Spirit. His power, his strength is at your disposal, and he just wants you to tap into it. Secondly, God's Spirit is not given to everyone. He's only given to those who truly believe. You see, a true believer is not one who, who simply says, I, I believe that Jesus was God and in the flesh. I believe that he lived a sinless life. I, I believe in my head that he died for my sin and he rose literally from the grave. But that is a kind of person who stands on and commits their life to and relies on these facts as a way of life. The true believer is one who knows that he or she has absolutely no hope of salvation apart from faith in Jesus Christ. But as powerful as the Holy Spirit is, the Bible teaches us that we can restrict His power in our life. As powerful as the Holy Spirit may be, the Word of God tells us we can restrict him from doing what he wants to do in our lives. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, we're told not to grieve the Holy Spirit. And Paul, in fact, Paul tells us that we grieve the Holy Spirit when we engage in. Now listen to this. It's not like we do some of that really bad stuff out there, but listen to what he tells us when we have unwholesome talk, when we allow bitterness or anger or resentment to build up within us. You see, that's not like going out and committing murder. That's not like going out and committing adultery and all that bad stuff out there, robbing a bank. No. 
Listen to this. Bitterness. Unwholesome talk. Resentment. And I use the term build up within us. It doesn't happen overnight. If we allow these things to keep building up within us, pretty soon they will block the flow of the Holy Spirit in our life. It's kind of like you're driving your car down the street. You can avoid a few obstacles now and then, a branch here, a box over there, a piece of tire here. But if the number of the obstacles keep growing in the middle of the road, there will come that time when you have to stop and get out of your car and remove the obstacles. And you know, in our lives, we allow these things to build up from time to time. And we need to stop and just say, Holy Spirit, do a house cleaning, a spring cleaning in my life. Get these things out of there to allow your Holy Spirit to flow in my life once again, totally unrestricted. So what do you do? You simply keep a short account with God. You just keep a short account with God. You don't say, well, I'm going to wait till the end of the month and take care of all my problems, things that are hurting my relationship with the Lord. No. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And it's as simple as saying, Lord, I messed up. I am sorry. I did something contrary to your will. Will you forgive me and clean my heart? And just like that, he does it. Now, I want to be practical here and just wrap this up with a a couple of personal applications. First, we need to take God at his word. We need to take God as his word. We actually need to believe, friends, that the power of of Pentecost is the same power that's operative in our lives today. We need to come to understand that God has equipped us to walk and work in the power of the Holy Spirit. He has given us the power to see lives change, circumstances alter, to see mountains of all kinds removed. Secondly, we need to ask God for the Holy Spirit's help. We simply need to ask God for the Holy Spirit's help. Instead of asking God to merely remove the problem or just solve the problem, we need to ask God to give us the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome the problem, to work through the problem. You see, we need to move forward there. It's so easy to ask God to do what He wants us to do on our part. I believe it's both of us working together. God doesn't just say, I'm going to take care of all your problems. No, He said, I'm going to give you the strength to go through that problem. We need to ask God to to guide us as we read His Word. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have read a passage of Scripture one time and the Lord seemed to give you a message from that or an idea or an insight, a, a positive thought, and you read it again and you got a different insight from it? Has that ever worked for you? You see, that's how God works. And daily you need to say, Lord, what do you want to do in my life as I read your word? We need to pray, Lord, make me more sensitive to the opportunities that you give me. Lord, give me the strength and the boldness to stand up and speak for you. And then, Lord, help me to see what's wrong with my life and the problems that are keeping me from being in the center of your will. 
And thirdly, we need to step out in faith. We need to step out in faith. Do you know how you spell faith? R-I-S-K. That's how you spell faith. R-I-S-K. You see, if we can do whatever we think we ought to do in our own strength, with our own ability, and our own resources, then we're just going to rely on those, and that's as high as we ever go. But when we begin to trust God and risk and allow God to work, how many of you think God can do it better than you can? Turn to someone right now and say, God can do it better than you can. Just let them know right now. You see, bottom line, I think too many of our churches are country clubs. I believe, thank you. I, I believe there always needs to be a risk factor, a faith factor in what we do as a church. Did you catch that? If we only do what we think we can do and what we know we can do, then we won't do what God wants us to do. There needs to be a faith factor. In fact, I'm, I'm going to share with the board tomorrow night when I meet with them again. We've got to have some faith factors in what we do and, and set it up so we can't do this without the power of God working. How many of you believe that a church will go farther and faster if we allow God to do it than just us? It's going to happen. And so that's where we're going with this thing. So let me give you some practical things. Dare to bring up the subject of faith in a conversation this week. Dare to bring up in some kind of a situation, not just with other believers, but with someone out there. Just pray, Lord, open the door this week where I can share what you've been doing in my life. And I guarantee you, if you pray that prayer, God will open the door and get someone in your life where you can do that. I'm sure that every one of you knows someone who is hurting. And you may not know them well, and you may not feel like you have a lot of answers, but what about going to that person and just saying, I don't really feel I have the stuff to do this, but I just feel God would have me come and, and just share a word of encouragement for you. I want you to know I, I'm praying for you. And I have no idea what you're dealing with, but I just want you to know your name came to my heart. And I want to lift you up every day. How about offering to pray with someone who's going through a rough time, even if you're in a public area? I... Uh, a lot of times when I'm at a restaurant and a waitress comes and we're getting ready to pray, I'll just say, would you like us to pray with you or for you? And I've not yet had one of them throw water in my face. It's amazing how many people will say, yeah, you can remember me in prayer. And I, I don't stand up and say, ask the whole restaurant to be quiet while we pray. We just quietly pray. And usually they have their name so you can pray for them by by name. But you'd be amazed at how many people are thrilled about that. Or, let me get really personal. How about writing a check that's bigger than you think you can afford? Boy, there were a lot of amens on that one, weren't there? <laughs> but seriously, 
That's what faith promise is all about. Faith giving. You know, every once in a while, you can't do it all the time, but sometimes you just sense God would have me expand or extend myself a little more than I think I really can. And volunteer for a ministry that, that you think you would enjoy, but you're not sure that you can do it. You know what I've discovered? There have been times in my life when I felt God was asking me to do something, and it may not have been something that I wanted to do, but I felt he wanted me to do it, and I didn't necessarily feel that I had the stuff to do it. But when I stepped out in faith and risked it for him, amazingly, God has never, ever let me down. That's just the way it works. So take a look at what you think God would want you to do and step out in faith. You know, we're not going to see God work through us until we say God and give him the opportunity to work through us. So will you bow your heads with me right now? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a big, all-powerful God. And that you never give up on us, even when we give up on ourselves and we give up on others. And you have something great in store for each and every one of us sitting here today. But not just us as individuals. You have something that you want to do through this body of believers. And I pray that you would help us to just have a vision. And open our minds to see what you would have us do. And open our hearts to be responsive to you. And I pray that you would release your spirit right in the presence of these people. And Lord, if there's something, some obstacle that you need to remove from our lives, we want to just turn it over to you and say, take it and just get it out of my life. But Lord, I, I'm really excited about what you're going to do as we step out and allow you to do your Pentecostal work in our lives as a church and as individual believers. In the all-powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, we pray. Amen.